Hello, and welcome to Launchpad, a special interview series part of Rocket Fuel. Today, we're talking to Jasper the Friendly Ghost, who is an extremely popular and well-known and well-respected member of the Rocket Pool community. Pat, um, Jasper is um, extremely active in the Discord channel, but he also has a large Twitter following where he shares tweets about Ethereum and especially about Rocket Pool. Jasper, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and then we can start talking? Absolutely. Some of you might know me by my very interesting color Discord role. Uh, I am officially known as the community advocate. I'm very grateful to the Rockpool core team for giving me this sort of one-off role. Um, and it's sort of in recognition of some of the things I've done for the community over the years. Uh, I joined Rockpool back in about 2021. And since then, I've tried to do a lot of writing and sort of theory crafting about the protocol and its future direction. Uh, I've been hosting Twitter spaces with Darren Langley, our lovely general manager, uh, every other week for quite a while now, honestly. Feels like forever. Uh, but it's great. I love being able to have this direct insight into the dev team and then relay stuff back to the community and sort of serve as a bridge when, you know, sometimes things can get a little bit of salt emoji. Uh, uh, but I love it. I love contributing to the Ethereum ecosystem. That's really why I'm here. Uh, as we'll get into, I studied philosophy in undergrad. Uh, being a moral person is sort of my driving impetus, uh, seeking out knowledge. And that led me directly to Rockpool and crypto. And uh, yeah, that's who I am. That's great. I'm so happy to have you here because we've obviously been talking to each other for quite a while, but this is the first time we've actually talked to each other. And I'm, that's I'm, right. really, I'm really excited about this, but even already, I feel like we we have like a kind of kinship, which is really awesome. So I'm really happy about that. <laughs> Um, anyway, let's get started. Like you said, uh, like you studied philosophy. Um, you're you're quite young, right? Like compared to some of the other people who've been probably on... the youngest yet. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So um, you just graduated from college. Oh, Thomas G is really young too. Yeah, Thomas G is quite young. Yeah, but let's let's yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I, I, that's cool. But um, so tell me, like you you went to college. Like when did you get into crypto? Like, it's... I yeah. So I first heard about Bitcoin back in 2016, my high school economics class. Uh, you, okay, so you, you were in see high me. school in 2016? <laughs> <Yes>. Okay. In 2016. <laughs> I was in high yes. school like, way longer ago than that. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so, sorry, carry on. Yeah, I actually went in 2015 when I took econ. But I would, you, I would be in the corner of the class. Uh, the class was a joke to me. Uh, and what I would spend most of class doing is this is actually a little embarrassing, but uh, Martin Shkreli, also known as the Pharma Bro, mm -hmm. he, he would do Twitch live streams where he would just talk about uh, biotech talks, uh, technical analysis while playing chess. And at some point, he started talking about Bitcoin. And here I was in an economics class, which was just supply and demand curves, uh, talking, listening in on one year to Martin Shkreli talk about Bitcoin. And, you know, it's sort of like, the gears started turning. Uh, it was not until I graduated high school and went on to college that uh, I sort of convinced my parents to let me make my first purchase. And interesting to pertinent to the rest of the story. To this day, my only fiat to you to crypto purchase ever. I've only onboarded into crypto once, and it was that moment back in 2017. What did you buy? ETH. So I actually spent a little while. Uh, on this purchase. So this is back in the ETH trader days, right? Uh, uh, prior to the schism where ETH finance was formed. 
And, you know, it was like Bitcoin hits a thousand dollars or something. I reading this articles from what Martin Shkreli put up. I hear about Ethereum and it's just like, it's done. Right. I, I hear, I read uh, Vitalik's writings. I hear about the Rombat at the time, uh, sharding, but proof of stake was still mm-hmm. incredibly sound in yeah. theory, uh, what its main goals were. And it, it just seemed like the future, no brainer. Uh, just the idea of smart contracts. I, it was such a zero to one moment. And I'm still to this day sort of in belief when people are stuck in the Bitcoin train, when there was just such a huge world, but uh, essentially that, period in time, uh, I was 80% Ethereum, 10% Bitcoin, 5% OMG, 5% Cardano. Oh, wow. Okay. So that was that in 2016, you said, or 2017? 2017. Yeah. So 2017. That, the, I guess you you got in at a time when you're still profitable on those buys, right? Like, so... Oh, everyone was green. Yeah. <laughs> Every single one. Wonderful. So I guess you never had that moment where people just like you wasted all your money and all that kind of stuff. It's really interesting that you... I did ride it all the way down into and I saw the $80 bottom in uh, college. Uh, I remember sitting there. Uh, it was the 20. There were two bottoms right around eight. The first one with the actual bottom $88 was in 2018. But then there was also like the second near bottom in 2020. Uh, I remember this, the, the $88 one being way, way worse. Like the COVID dump was scary in a way but there was so much else going on in the world at the time yeah. that crypto was just so far out of mind so you you were in in you were listening to twitch streams like farmer bro and then he went off to jail right so yes. did that did that ever like shake your confidence in crypto because he was the person that got you into it or had you moved past it there's, there's it? a funny story where i almost won fifty thousand dollars from martin Shkreli, actually okay yeah so I went to Princeton for undergrad. I studied okay. philosophy there. Yeah. And my first year there, uh, Marish Carly actually gets invited to campus to do <laughs> a lecture. This was just a few months before he was arrested. Mm-hmm. And he starts this lecture with a whole speech about how he won't be arrested, how all the charges will be dropped and it's all a, a, a fraud. And then after the speech, he goes onto the blackboard and he writes this math problem down. And he turns to the crowd and he says, the first person to solve this problem, I will pay the rest of their tuition. Okay, so what happened? So I immediately am not a math major. I don't know how to do uh, real analysis. I, I like to watch number file videos. Yeah. I cannot solve this problem, but I'm clever. <laughs> and so I Googled it and I researched <laughs> it. And I, because I knew Martin Shkali is essentially a fraud, right? Yeah. He's a fraud with clever packaging. Mm-hmm. And so he's not writing this problem. He's not actually a genius. He found it from a textbook. And I found the textbook. <laughs> and I found a solution in the textbook. So, so I write it. Yeah. What happened? So I write, <laughs> I write the answer down on a piece of paper. And not like a minute into me writing it, uh, someone else hand, put their hands up. I got it. They go in. They submit it. I finish my answer. And I still raise my hand and say, uh, what if they're wrong? Yeah. Does second place get it? Right? And he was like, yeah. So just everyone, as soon as you figure it out, put there. So I go in and I get in second. Mm-hmm. Turns out, Marsh Crowley does, in fact, get arrested. Oh. Years go by. Um, and I get curious. I wonder if he ever paid out. Like, and yeah. I find out, <laughs> I find him on a Facebook live stream. Uh, no, this is, this, this is an article. Because he was already arrested. But I do find out in an article that he had, in fact, paid the first kid up 
uh, approximately $40,000. So I was this close. That's that's a great story. Okay, so (laughs) Princeton, right? Like, tell me about this Princeton um, crypto club that was going on. Like, what was that all about? Uh, There actually was no Princeton crypto club. There was... Sorry, I'm I'm mistaken. Um, Uh, what, what, What was it like being at Princeton and being in crypto, was there any kind of discussions happening around that kind of stuff? Tons. Absolutely. I, when I first started, uh, people were all in ICOs. Talk, everyone was talking about the ICO. Rania. I remember being in chemistry lab because I was a pre-med student mm-hmm. uh, and my lab mate uh, and I were talking about Ripple. Is Ripple a security? Is Ripple fake? Blah, blah, blah. blah. So at, when I started, everyone was talking about it. And I managed to find a good few friends who were into like the scene originally, like OG miners, but it was a lot of surface level, like mm. tons of, like, even though like it's Princeton, it's Ivy League, yada, yada, there was not the same depth, the, like the depth you would expect, it was not there. People like from the whole spectrum were still falling for all the ICO scams. So how, how deep were you in at that time? So I sort of fell off um, right around when Maker had his issues with Dai. So mm. I, I would say like, and in that era, the time I was most interested in crypto was like when Dai first came out, when single collateral Dai, and I was like, "This is this is it." They figured it out, you know. Like this is the first non-governmental form of currency that's stable that anyone can create, transfer. It's like, isn't it, this this was the point of crypto, right? Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, to this day, that's still not true, right? Stable coins are the like such a great invention and it is definitely i think one of the few like killer apps of crypto right now even now right um i remember getting into a discussion with uh, a relative about dogecoin and i didn't tell them that i was into crypto at the time he's like you can use dogecoin for payments and i was just like why would you use dogecoin for payments when you can use a stable coin and mm-hmm. he was like, what's a stable coin? And I was just like, I'm not gonna have this discussion anymore. But stable coins are absolutely amazing, like definitely. Um what where do you fall in the stable coin like line right now about like USDT, USDC, DAI, like Rye? What what's your flavor of choice? I think there definitely is just like there is a blockchain scaling trilemma, there is a stable coin scaling trilemma where you have centralization, uh total liquidity and stability, right? So you can have two of these. You can be a centralized and very stable. You can be USDC, USDT. You can be um, decentralized and have a very high cap, but you can't actually be on peg. You have to allow the natural market forces. You can be uh, very, the other uh, one is, you can be very decentralized and have a vibe, actually no. But the point is, it's a trilemma. Yeah. Uh, it's very hard to pick all three. I think the closest we will ever get is if we can actually play out this sort of uh, multi-party die scaling solution where you have all of these government entities with all their debt backed on-chain. DAI is actually like tons and tons of different uh, government assets, but it's also a ton of different Ethereum or on-chain assets. The only way this ends up being sustainable is like, we have good regulation worldwide. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Rye is ever going to scale to to meet the USDC demand, and yeah. I don't think conversely USDC is ever going to decentralize enough to meet the die demand. Per se. Yeah. So it's open field to, and it's challenging. <laughs> I, think I think we're very far from figuring it out. 
yeah, definitely. I think we're at least another cycle, if not more, away from having good answers on that issue. The thing is as well, like with um, central bank digital cur- digital coins, like coming out now, digital currencies, like they are going to really muddy the fields even more because would mm-hmm. you go CDBC or would you go crypto stable coin? It's going to definitely, they, this is going to be a big battle that's going to play out over the next cycle. Right. It's yeah. going to be really interesting to see how it goes. So tell me about medicine. Like what, what makes you, what made you want to be pre-med? Like, how was that for you at, at college? How did it all go? And how does that fit with where you are now? Right. So I'm sort of all over the place, right? I have a philosophy degree, yet I do crypto things, yet I want to be a doctor. Uh, and it all sort of comes out of, comes from philosophy, sort of like my takes on life. Uh, I've always had a medical background. I actually went to a medical high school, and that's an aside. Uh, but practicing healthcare it gives you a different type of outlook on life. I had a Twitter debate actually on uh, a thread where I'd said, should I go full-time with three or should I pursue medicine? And someone made uh, the claim that, well, if you really think you want to go into medicine to be a good person, shouldn't you just go web three, get a bunch of money and then donate it all? You know, like this, the SBF effective altruist. Yeah. And uh, I remember the moment I decided in undergrad that no, no, medicine actually is the one for me was when I really started thinking about utilitarianism and if it was like my, that more out, uh, outlook on life that I personally wanted or believed in. And the more I thought about it, the more I sat there and pondered, it just falls apart. <laughs> utilitarianism, it just doesn't hold up to real life situations. Uh, the main weakness it has, in my opinion, is it has no valuation of emotional distance, right? So Peter Singer is a very famous utilitarianism and utilitarian, utilitarian and he has this example of compared to a situation. In one situation, you are a rich person and you see someone drowning in water. You could jump in to save them, but you're going to ruin your $800 suit. In the next case, you could donate $800 to mosquito nests. And studies have shown, on average, $800 worth of nests will save one person's life. In a utilitarian perspective, these are very similar, right? You've saved a kid's life physically. You've donated enough uh, money for nets to save a life. But like, if you lived in those two situations, one of those is going to change your life forever. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And utilitarianism just doesn't account for that. It can't account for that, the size of that. How do you account for it? You get into a lot of subjective theories, subjectivist theories, which is actually why I spend most of my philosophy under education studying, like Buddhism, uh, Nietzschean ideologies, uh, perspectivism, existentialism, things that sort of question uh, objective truth, which is, I think, very important for crypto. Because in crypto, we have the common saying, uh, code is law. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, we found it. We found an objective source of truth in the world, and it was going to be the blockchain. That's wrong. <laughs> the Bitcoin fundamental thesis is wrong. The 21 million supply cap is only true insofar as the social layer deems it to be true. Yep. So the most objective, the most hardline people in the world who think something is objective, it's still a little subjective. Absolutely. Like if you go like three halvings forward, the fees don't rise in the same way as issuance drops, price doesn't rise mm-hmm. in the same way, then they've got an existential crisis in their hands. Like, Do you interest have to tail commissions? Yeah, they're going to have to change things, right? They're going to have to change mm-hmm. something, either remove the mm-hmm. supply cap or increase fees or something. Yep. 
he has to give something will have to give and that's really interesting way of putting it i really like that um so tell me about this twitter thread like um crypto web3 or medicine like what were your thoughts making that thread where where do you stand now like what's going on yeah i was like i was honestly curious like what is crypto twitter going to say right is crypto going to twitter going to be as like uh profit maxi as utilitarian as i expect or are they going to surprise me and i also wanted to like sort of have some discussion about what the values of our community are and, and also just see good opinions right uh and so i made the poll it got like 500 votes a good amount of votes and funny enough go to med school one out now people were like follow your passions follow your dreams uh you can probably do web3 on the side if anything uh and you know crypto twitter impressed me a little bit i, I was quite I happy I voted on that by saying you should go to crypto to <laughs> go to web3 and the, i was kind of selfish in that because i just i really respect you in web3 and like your writings and your thoughts and i feel like we need more people like you in web3 so i was like mm. come to web3 <laughs> i'm like the ones <laughs> i'm sure it'd be, <laughs> i'm sure it'd be better for our rpl bags <laughs> no it's not just that of course not just that i, I honestly feel like there's there's not enough like i feel like cryptos crypto Twitter, crypto communities as a whole are kind of overrepresented by certain types of people. And I feel like the voice that you bring is slightly different from, well, very different in some ways from the voices other people bring and like lived experiences you bring. And that is only amazing for the crypto community in a way that we really desperately need. And that I was going from that perspective. So I, I think like you're going to do amazing things, whatever you do decide. So it's really cool to see that. Um, Appreciate it. Yeah, let's let's take a step back. So you're in ETH Finance, you're hanging out, well, ETH Trader, ETH Finance back in the day. Yeah. It kind of yeah. falls back, like, you know, real life, it gets, gets in the way, college gets in the way, mm-hmm. all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. When did you start talking about crypto again or hearing about crypto again? How did that happen? It's the orange. Yeah? <laughs> it, it was rocket pool. So I was, I still like vaguely fall like the, the, the schism of ETH Trader, ETH Finance sort of like rebirthed a bit of interest in me but then that fell off again uh into the 2020 dump and it was not until first bitcoin reclaimed its all-time high <clears throat> and then uh i started more qu- closely following uh e-finance again uh yeah. e-trader was just god awful oh, since this yeah skin. garbage t- dump yeah, yeah i i've since unsubscribed years ago yeah including uh, some days I'd, I'd go back and forth on unsubscribing from the main Ethereum subreddit too and just limit it to just ETH finance, but I keep it open just in case I can give a good response if it's needed. I started uh, yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just so it was Sorry. an ETH finance post uh, about a beta. Rocket Pool okay. was doing an open beta. Right. This was January of 2021. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Early 2021, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... And... Carry on. So I joined... Yep, I uh, saw the post. I was like, whoa, decentralized staking? This is going to be huge. It's like, it's just like a clear product market fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, had not... Uh, obviously, Zero's thesis wasn't out at this point. Uh, then I joined the Discord. And... I remember just such a profound moment the first time on the testnet staking ETH for our ETH. It was the first time I had like really used the Ethereum network. 
Like mm-hmm. back in 2017, I was one of those like buy an centralized exchange and just sit the one and watch numbers go up and down. Yeah, uh, it was like I had bought a MKR in actually no, that was later. Yeah, my very first like real crypto transaction, I would say, were uh, testnet staking RE ETH. Nice. So, and then I immediately went into general, and I was like, oh my god, I just staked. This feels so cool. I feel like I'm contributing to the network research problem. And I was still like pretty green shoot, did not understand quite the nuances of RE for Steve. Like I knew Steve was permission, but I didn't understand like uh, the extent of the differences and just the extent of Rocket Pool's protocol design until sort of, sort of like bathing in Discord for another year. <laughs> yeah. So how was it, those were like relatively the early days, right? Because mm-hmm. I know that a whole lot of people came in because of Zero's thesis. So I mm-hmm. guess getting in there before Zero's thesis was kind of, um, they must have been a very different community than from what it became later. Like how how was how was it in those early days for you? Like It was, it was good enough to convert me from a lurker. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Zero's thesis comes out um, and then... I sort of come across it on ETH Finance and decide, oh, maybe there's more to uh, the Rockpool Discord. So I go back and that's when I discover trading. And so I really became active in Rockpool in April, like a month after his thesis. Mm. Um, and then when it was like, okay, there's some really knowledgeable people here about Ethereum. Let's start asking as many questions as I physically can constantly because i can't say no <laughs> yeah that's really interesting that you put it like that because i guess all of us were like newbies at one point right and mm-hmm. uh, i feel like the rocket pool community has been so great at welcoming people like like those newbies like that we were at one point and people have really wait you're kind of nodding along knowingly like what are you there's, there's there's a good story because uh my very first rpl was was uh so at this time, uh, I still only had the ETH that I had that I bought back in 2017. And it was a very small, we're talking like triple digits, USD terms. Okay. And so gas costs were like huge for me, especially because we we're in bull run times at the time, yeah. uh, bull market. And so I was like, hey guys, I don't want to use a DEX. I don't want to pay like $40 for a Uniswap trade uh, when I'm only buying like $100 of RPL. Uh, is anyone willing to do an OTC trade with me? And I started talking to Zero, and he was like so confused why I was, wanted to do an OTC for like I don't remember, but like a tiny amount of RPL, right? Yeah. But he was still willing to do it, and he even fronted me the gas cost. That's and nice. I think it's just such a sweet thing for Zero having just dropped his thesis recently, and uh, who was already a uh, uh, rocket scientist, but not it wasn't called rocket scientist yet. I don't believe mm. uh, it's just so sweet of him and so accepting. And there were so many stories in the early like April into the end of the year of raffles, and that's like uh, where I built up a large chunk of my RPL holdings before then starting to do some community work, which has then also been quite quite kind to me. Uh, so the raffles. I remember Patricio had like 10 days of raffles, right? Or was, am I remembering that right? Because I wasn't that involved in the community at the time. So I kind of have like vague memories of stuff that was happening around then. Was that around mm-hmm. just before launch? That was, that was about just <laughs> before the fear launch. Yes. 
so that was our like the, the, the triumph the, the peak of the poet madness when trading had just completely overdosed on poet but patricio just sitting there like yes rocket pool has turned completely into poet because for mainnet we did a poet a day and a raffle a day for 30 days i believe Wow. Now, we were doing balancer ecosystem, Reddit, just Daily Gway, Bankless, just every corner of the Ethereum ecosystem. We were trying to like create really grassroots, just let's make a pull up together, then we'll do a raffle together with our communities together, and we're just going to celebrate Rockful launching. And then it did. No, I know. Oh my God. That was horrible because I was just getting into the community at that time. Yeah. I think I made my first first purchase in September of 2021. Vaguely remember mm-hmm. it being around then. So I was like so excited about launch and then launch doesn't happen. And it was really bad because I totally like fell down the rocket pool like rabbit hole at that point. And I remember mm-hmm. having a dream at one point that like <laughs> launch failed a second time <laughs> and like rocket pool went to zero. Like it was no. taking over my mind completely. <laughs> so it's really funny that that, that happened. Mm-hmm. Well, now thinking back, like it was horrible at the time, but like thinking back, yeah. you know, we can laugh about it now. But um, it was it was quite scary at the time, right? Like oh, it's crazy. Launch day, launch gets yeah. cancelled. Like how was how were things in the community at that point? Oh man. Oh. So the announcement goes out and it's, it's almost a blur. It's kind of a blur at this point, but it, it, it was quite sad. People were very unsure. Tons of people were happy, uh, but it was, oh, I remember there was a lot of dialogue between people on whether this was a good thing or not. Fundamentally, it was amazing. It was pivotal that it was caught. Right. Mm-hmm. At the same time, there was a lot of people like that were caught up in the launch hype that sort of just speculatively bought into RBL, who are now sitting in a daily pretty hit a heavy loss, right? Heavy, heavy loss. It was clearly going to risk off when you have a day zero bug found, right? Uh, so it was toxic for a while. People yeah. were sitting on some economic losses and were like, Rocket Pool's never going to launch. There was just a bug found. How can you be happy? First, the people were like, no, 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 step back. We just averted a huge loss mm-hmm. uh, and so you should be happy but it, it it was a sad day it took quite a while for our, the community to move on and then it was like what another five or six weeks right before we launched mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. I, I remember being i was more of a lurker at that time in in trading i think i had odd message here or there and i remember definitely being on the side of you know it's better that we found it now rather than later but um in it made sense, I guess, why some people didn't feel that way. Like it was, it was right. difficult. It was definitely difficult. Yeah. So, um, Rocket Pool just kind of became your your corner of the crypto space. And... Pretty much, it's a, it completely absolved all of my presence. I pretty much stopped using eFinance for a long time. Even just yeah. just trading became my home. And there was one crystallizing moment. And I, I think looking for owls would be quite upset if I don't mention this story. Uh, it was April like fifth. Uh, and it is henceforth has been referred to as Big POAP 69 Day. Uh, it was the release of the stage three tokenomics paper. So just tons of hype. Early in the day, Darcius had trolled trading by sending fake pings. Uh, so people, everyone is already whipped up into a frenzy. Uh, tokenomics paper drops. The frenzy continues. POAPs are dropping. The frenzy built. And then people start noticing, hey, I think Logic Beach was, Logic Beach was first. I just, my friend 
Logic Beats' friend just got 6.9 RPM. Did someone send it? So people were like, I don't know what you're talking about. Turns out Logic Beach has posted a, an address in chat earlier, and someone had used that to send RPL. And then people who had ENSs set started getting a varying amounts of RPL, 6.9, 69 RPL. <sighs> and then, of course, everyone posting their addresses. Kron is just losing his mind. No, this is such a terrible doxing moment. Everyone is doxing themselves. <laughs> and then, and RPL is flying. Everyone's getting drops. Looking for owls. It's, instead of RPL, it's a NFT. giant penis NFT, yep. a rainbow penis NFT, yeah. uh, with a message. Uh, I also got I, a six. I got a very large amount of RPL that like doubled my stack in that one moment. And nice. uh, I've since managed to find out who actually was the yes RPL dropper that day. No. I do know who it is. Really? They are. That's yeah. that's that's very 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 privileged information you have right there. I've heard a lot of theories about who that person was, but no one knows for sure. So I, you, I'm just curious. Who do you, if you have a guess, like off your dome, if you had to guess, that, I'm just it's curious. a team member. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that was a team member. But um, I can LFO tell you it's that's fine. <laughs> LFO and I have talked quite extensively about it, so much so that LFO is going to come on Launchpad and we're going to talk about the whole thing. <laughs> so I, think, I hope I didn't steal his thunder. I think you're going to be getting a lot of DMs from him in the next few days. <laughs> My lips are sealed. Yeah, I'm, I'm I don't sorry. Know. You might be able to get it out of you. <laughs> that's really funny. Okay, well, that's that's fascinating that you know who that is. Um, I might, I might have easily to... one of my favorite nights. Yeah, that, I, I know a lot of people who talk about that night as as their one of their favorite um, rocket pool community nights. How did that compare to the benefactor? So I wasn't around for big top sixty nine, right? Like the benefactor was kind of similar, right? Mm -hmm. Like what was what was happening there? Yeah, well, so the vibe was different, right? During the big top sixty nine, this is pre launch. This is like a much much smaller crowd of people, and so everyone knew everyone, and so it was very easy to like the hysteria to build to like a boiling point like that. Uh, and it was totally a surprise and a flash in the pan moment, which was instantly cut off because people could not just keep posting their addresses like that. Uh, whereas RPL Benefactor was a much more like the community has grown up moment uh, where now we're like, it, it, in some ways it's the spiritual successor to the Poap 69. Uh, it's a, so the community same energy the sort of like euphoric let's give back and celebrate but in a much more controlled uh adult-ish form mm. so, so who, who's the benefactor i don't actually know <laughs> oh, no one knows it's really well fizz knows but that's that's about it it's as far as we know so i do not know wow that I exceeds might... my i thought you i, don't, have, I had... have my <laughs> tentacles in many places but that I is think, not one i think you got a message phase and try to find out for him hmm. well maybe i can trade him some names yeah definitely well <laughs> a then little quid pro quo lfo is friends with fizz so like we met up in chicago a few weeks ago right so i was so jealous of that <laughs> maybe he'll try to get get some names back and forth there but um so you're you're like fully entrenched in, in the rocket pool community now like how how has that been for you like now that you know you've been around for over well nearly two years now like how yeah. would you count this part of your life 
compared to like other journeys you've been on and communities you've been so rewarding Uh, so rewarding um i feel like i managed to combine uh some of my interests that i previously had not been able to explore in a way that was also rewarding for everyone around me uh which which i'm very grateful for now give me examples like uh, i'd always been interested in math and economic game theory uh, i was a former debater in at princeton uh, and what i loved about that was just being in the moment and trying to create a good theory right that's why i like was into debate and it wasn't so much of the winning aspect it was what kind of ideology can you create uh and that's where like crypto was like the i don't want to use i was about to use a outdated metaphor but it was a total new frontier uh where i could sort of like write about anything and it would be somewhat novel and that just gave me a lot of room to explore um i feel like the first time where i really felt i was providing academically to the community which i felt was like very rewarding to me personally uh was around when i started tweeting and i made my first sort of like anti-lido post it was called the case against lido uh, it started just in discord and it was when lido first crossed coinbase when they became the number one staking entity alarm balls alarm bells were just going off like this isn't stopping mm-hmm. and so i started researching i started reading about you know it's like how their registry worked uh, distribution of the ldo token uh, censorship risks and uh, getting to talk about sort of like the philosophy while talking about cryptography with trading people just sort of just brought everything together yeah so you mentioned twitter right like you're kind of like um rocket pool communities resident like thread or like uh, kind of person <laughs> right how, how does that work for you like where what do you see your role in like that bridge between trading and crypto twitter like how does that work for you we all owe Nashua a, a, a thanks for me even being on Twitter. It was uh, back a while ago. Well, sorry, to, on Twitter to the extent I am now. Uh, when Twitter space was something I always asked. Uh, when I used to, I don't know if you remember this, every like the start of every week, I would go in general and I would tag one of the team members and like, hey, hope you had a good weekend. So what happened last week <laughs> and sort of like ask for a recap of like the, the things in the protocol, which later it just got longer and longer and longer turned into, I think the biweekly update. So mm-hmm. me and Ken would alternate sometimes tagging people in general, uh, tagging the team in general to ask for this update. It's just sort of, sort of fortuitous that we ended up being the Twitter space host, but it did not happen until one day I was just saltily ranting and trading like one Twitter space, one marketing when Nashua said, probably not until you just do it yourself. And it was just like, hmm, he's right. As Nashua almost 99.9% of the times is, he is right. And it's not even just he was right on the Twitter space. It's sort of like the more uh, ideological sense. Like, I am capable of imparting some sort of effect onto Rocket Pool if I just get up and do it. It wasn't just Twitter spaces, but like, I could write about Rocket Pool and my ideas might actually have an impact. So I, I really credit Nashua for like encouraging me to just do in Web3. I would really encourage everyone to, no matter how bad or silly you think of an idea is, just write it out, put it out there. 
that's kind of like what happened with me with rocket fuel so my wife was telling me for a while you know like start a youtube channel like i think you'll be really good at it you'll really enjoy it and i'm like i don't know what to talk about what i'm going to do like it's just it's completely like alien to me she's like talk about crypto it's like i don't know what crypto to talk about and then mm -hmm. i met i met marceau and he was just like do do a rocket pool video and i was just like yeah, I could do that. <laughs> and then that was the beginning of Rocket Fuel right there. And it's just, it's it's exactly the same kind of thing, right? Like there's something there and you're not sure, like you know that there's a gap, but you're not sure what it is or how it is. And then all of a sudden you're feeling it. It's like really valuable mm -hmm. to, to the community. Mm -hmm. And it's it's kind of amazing that, 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 that that's happened. So tell me about like your kind of semi role with the team, like, um with these like twitter spaces and you get a part-time yeah. salary and stuff like how does that work what's what's what what are you who are you like are you a community <laughs> member are you a team member like what what's going on you know i bet if you ask the team they want to be able to answer you on a figure like i give you a good answer either uh i will try to do my best i sort of have a myriad of roles uh fortunately uh given i've managed to get decently well connected into the DeFi space i have some connections with like uh, DeFi founders and stuff. So I end up doing some good biz dev work, right? Um, I was a somewhat of an architect in the maker onboarding. Like mm -hmm. I organized a big coalition of uh, ecosystem players, uh, uh, mainly with the help of Daniel Wong from Stakefish. Uh, he sort of helped me uh, like talk to uh, Matt Lessinger, who is CEO at uh, Alluvial, I believe, uh, who was formerly a Lido node operator. So we sort of got a variety of industry heads together and we started talking about RE and how we can really maximally get its adoption, which is really cool, right? Uh, we were getting like, because these are competing protocols, Stakefish and uh, Alluvial, and they were talking to me about RE adoption, right? So they were uh, useful in sort of thinking about our ongoing liquidity strategy and also uh, getting a good word with the MakerDAO community. Uh, yeah, so essentially I get to have some fun biz dev conversations where uh, I learn alpha <laughs> and then don't get to share it with the community. But it's really just because back in the day, right, uh, I'm talking about like early 2022, January through March, I would just go into random discords that I thought a partnership would be viable between Rocket Pool and them. And I'd be like, hey, have you considered Rocky pool for X, Y, and Z, right? And then I would start talking to their devs and then I would connect their devs to the core devs uh, and just this ongoing process of making connections uh, has allowed me to have like a good grasp on Rocky pool and to yeah. be able to help the team out and make, so I serve like, I would say in the business dev sense, I just serve as a liaison. I like go out, find people who I think good partnerships would work with and, and then connect them to the team or people reach out to me. And then wherever I can, I would like to share it with the community, but uh, as you can imagine, it's somewhat difficult. Can can you share some alpha with us today? Like when Chainlink, Jasper, or when uh, Aave? Because <laughs> we've had some hints about those recently. Is there anything you can say that might be a little bit more than we know that you can share? I will say Chainlink is very aware of us. Yeah. And we have made them very aware of us by connecting different protocols and they are well aware of how many different protocols want RE. Right? Yeah. So yeah, I, <laughs> they're well aware of us. Great. Okay. But the CL fee, 
CL feed is tricky because there is a set of hard requirements, which if they remain steadfast in that, that makes the timeline look one way. If they are not steadfast on that, that makes things look a different way. Uh, it seems I have no reason to believe it will be anything but the former, will it remain steadfast? And so if you just keep your eye on RE exchange volumes, you would be able to guess when the CL feed would be live. Yeah. But we have to hit those hard caps first. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we sort of like hit a bear market, which destroys yeah. exchange volumes. But RE is still doing incredibly well. So Absolutely, yeah. Soon TM. Yeah, well, the good thing is as well with uh, RE is um, people are now getting into like the withdrawals hype cycle and there's a lot of hype about LSDs. And that's what we're going to be talking about later as well about LSDs. But um, that will hopefully drive volume towards RPL, towards our ETH, towards like this whole little like ecosystem we have. And maybe that will help us reach the criteria for getting that Chainlink feed. That would be really fantastic. One important thing to keep in mind about the Chainlink feed is it's an instant supply multiplier, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's never been an efficient folding mechanism for RE. There's going to be coming up like uh, MISO finance, which is mm -hmm. fixed rate. Um, and there's also, I think, interest pro oh, no, vendor finance, where you can also do the same thing, but on Arbitrum. So once we get this sort of one-click folding, that instantly we can expect like at least a 33% increase in supply just from passive folding. Uh, which means we have to be wary about when it, we want it to happen, right? Yep. Like, imagine we had a Chainlink article two months ago. Mm -hmm. That'd be bad. Yep. Like, uh, we simply were not able and would not have been able to meet that demand. So mm -hmm. it, in some ways, it is a silver or, or a hidden blessing that Chainlink article has taken so long, simply mm -hmm. because imagine, just imagine with me for a second, we get LED8s, CL feet. Yes. Withdrawals all in a row. Like I have no reason to believe this happened. But just yeah. imagine. Right? Yeah. It right. would be like, amazing. <laughs> it would mm -hmm. be really, really great. And this is mm -hmm. like the kind of like thesis that I've been pushing over the last few months is like, you know, this hype ladder where we mm -hmm. have like bullish events after each other, like just kind of building up mm -hmm. the hype going up. Like, you know, we had um, Coinbase and then like um, audits go through and everything's good. And then, uh, LEB8s come in, Chainlink comes in, Aave comes in, withdrawals come in, and then we get SAS, and then we get um, LEB2, 4 slash 2s at the end of the Maybe. year. Yeah. Like this next this next year, well, especially the next three or four months, have, there's a lot of potential for like extremely bullish things happening right one after each other. And mm -hmm. it's an extremely exciting time to be in the Rocket Pool community. And I kind of like know this open secret. Like it feels like, you know, that meme where the guy's in the corner and people are kind of hooking up with each other and he's saying, you know, I know this thing <laughs> that they don't know. It kind of feels yeah. like that, you know, where it's like we, we have this hidden knowledge and nobody else kind of knows. Mm -hmm. but it's really, really exciting. Definitely. <laughs> I'm really excited. Uh, if we, let's take that meme format. So like we have Rocket Pool standing in the corner on their phone, like, I'll be on Aave or my CL Oracle will be live soon and I'll be able to be fold. And you have like Aave and Steve or Lido making out in the corner. Everyone knows it's so true. Mm -hmm. And I, just one point I want to draw, drive home. Yeah. Stanny or uh, who was the Aave person that was in Rocket Pool? What was his name? Zell, Mark Zell. Mark Zell. Mark Zell. He's Mark very Zell. high up. I CTO at Aave. Oh, wow. Very. He is very oh, high up. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> I and he's essentially, if you just look at his tweet, 
he's made it very clear as soon as a CL Oracle is locked, yeah. like it'll, it'll be one, two, three before uh, the, the token is on off. See, this is the great reason why you're here because we need some of this like alpha, not alpha, you know, <laughs> like this is this is the stuff that people want to hear. This is fantastic stuff that you're sharing. So let's let's mm-hmm. let's kind of like delve into this a little bit more, right? Like so um you're you're kind of like the DeFi expert in the community in a sense. Like you kind of know how I think that other people too, you know, I'm not gonna like dismiss mm-hmm. other people, of course, but I feel like the community kind of way more better i mean nashua is wild better at this stuff than i am so no but i feel yeah. like the community kind of looks for you to like know what all these different protocols are what all these different integrations are like you were telling people about ribbon finance you were mm-hmm. telling people about all this other stuff that was happening like re integrations that were taking place like how do you see your role in like being like an evangelist for re integrations like what what's going on there yeah it's sort of a it's definitely a responsibility right like when I posted about the covered cultivar, I made sure that I didn't just say like, hey, look at this high APR, go, go, like go dump your tokens in, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when I posted about it, I made sure to like do a full thread on options. Like you, you very well could lose your principal by depositing into it. Uh, so I take the responsibility very seriously. Like uh, yeah. I think people definitely do look to my explanations mm-hmm. to try to understand like what they can do in the ecosystem. And I think Valdorf especially has made this a lot easier by like creating, uh, by handling a tons of questions in general. Fun fact, Valdorf has 5,000 answers, responses in general. I think that's crazy just because there's just the amount, the percentage of uh, activity in general that is just pure intro noob Q&A. Yeah. It just means Valdorf has just an, a ton of that stuff. So huge shout out to Valdorf, especially talk, Sorry, especially on DeFi stuff, right? Yeah. Tons of, is a lot of people who are in Rockable are there because they think of it as the safest, the simplest, uh, and most secure, which does not tend itself towards yield farming, right? Yeah. And so we, I knew back during the curve pool when I launched that, like I had to re- release also a safe staking, uh, safe aping paper, right? Because I realized that uh, our community is not a DeFi community. It's a validating community. It's a uh, network server hoster community. Like we have sysadmin admins. We don't have hedge funds. Yeah. Well, now we do. Yeah. So I'm going to definitely ask you about that too. But um, tell me about the curve paper, like um, the curve pool era. Like what was what was going on there? What was the need for the curve pool? What is the curve pool for those who might not know? And how was that like the first real piece of DeFi integration that happened for Rocket Pool? Like, what, what was all that about? Yeah, it was also the first major writing piece I did for crypto. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is in, the idea was first mentioned by Marceau uh, in February of 22. Yeah. Uh, and he just threw out, like, what if we had a, cur- a, a liquidity pool with Rhapsody and Ari? And comments sort of like got glazed over, but I was like, wait, we need to talk about this. Mm-hmm. And I kept bringing it back up and I was like, no, no, this is genuinely like going to change things. Yeah. Right. At the time, uh, at back then, Steve was the only LSD token pretty much mm-hmm. uh, with any kind of liquidity. And it was also the center of almost all uh, uh, yield farming, especially post bull market peak, right? Prior to the bull market, you had tons of like really stupid yield farms like Titan and 
uh, all these Ponzi's, Ohm, yeah. Wonderland, right? But after the peak, capital has a way of like going in opposite flow. Like once once capital is pouring in, you can do all these Ponzi's, but once it's pouring out, yeah. they don't they don't work anymore. You have to go back to something sustainable. And at the time, the only sustainable yield really was like lending and staking. So Steve specifically the yearn steep curveball uh, was the king of DeFi. And so what is this? So at the time, the major DeFi token was a wrapped version of Steve that had been deposited into a curve LP. It was half Steve, half ETH. And so it would facilitate trading. And this mm-hmm. is to this day, probably the, the deepest uh, LP in all of crypto, uh, excluding Ethereum itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but is that they were dumping at the peak of the bull market in 2021 lido was spending 20 million dollars a month on incentives in this pool right so you had billions of dollars invested just farming this yield and when rocket pool supply had grown sufficiently at it had at by february march mm-hmm. we became able to sort of like think about our own integrations yeah this so, what's special about the idea? Why are ETH wrapped Steve? Well, they're both, excuse me, non-rebasing value accruing tokens. They both go up against ETH over time. So if you LP them together, the major concern with any LP usually is impermanent loss. When the yeah. price of two assets diverge, you lose money. If you can have two assets that just both go up and stay together, and then you can just very safely uh, provide liquidity and take all the exchange fees. So what there, there were a few major rep, step forwards with the RETH RAPSTEATH pool. First was that there was no IL. It was sort of an IL-free pool, which meant you could really get a lot of capital in there safely. The second one was that it was full reward bearing. Both sides of the LP were going to be providing you yield, which is a game changer. So I talk about why, but so when you have the original curve pool, they're spending $20 million a month to boost the APY uh, to about 6% for everyone. Uh, like that's their target, slightly above natural ETH staking yield. Mm-hmm. And the market sort of balances out. Like the TVL covers that. That's the APY that the market expands. What ends up happening, that means, is that Lido's protocol has to cover half that cost. Yeah. Like they pay for 50% of that fee. When it's our ETH, we can cut that out. We can have almost the entire ETH staking yield, and then any incentives that are on top of that are just pure bonus, pure extra yield, right? So it's just instantly nearly twice as capital efficient as any other existing Ethereum-based staking pool. Uh, And once that clicked, I was like, okay, we got something that's really could be huge, an ETH-neutral staking pool, uh, and even without incentives, right? We were just talking about like purely as a concept, this could be really useful because it's a liquidity that's very cheap for Rocket Pool. As a nascent protocol, we want to get deep liquidity as cheaply as possible so that people can move in and out. And we could do it what they did. We could have had an RE LP on curve. Mm-hmm. And it, the natural pool would actually probably have very little use. Like if it wasn't incentivized, why would you use it well, yeah. instead of holding natural RE? So we were not going to get any natural demand for that. Whereas the curve pool with Rapsteath RE, to this day, it's huge. Yeah. There's so much natural demand because, again, it's IL free, you're getting full staking rewards, and you're getting trading fees. Plus, 
some people might like that it's uh, to some degree spreads out your risk. You have approximately 77% uh, ARETH and 23% LIDO in there, right? Yeah. So it's a basket product as well. It's a great product. So, right. So yeah. that all came together. And then we were like, okay, we can now we have a great idea. Let's put it into practice. And we can do this ourselves. We don't need the team, right? Yep. There's no reason we need the team for this. And we didn't include the team. We just sort of like went out and we're like, okay, we, what do we need to do to build the Y curve steep opponent, like the proper like counter? We need to get a curve pool. We need to get a curve gauge. We need to get a convex gauge. And we need to get a urine pool. Mm-hmm. And then we need to get someone to bribe. Yep. And then we need to tell the world, right? And within a month, we did all six of those things to perfection. So, yeah. So we got, uh, so me and Marceau sort of did all the transactions uh, to get the pools live, to get the gauge live. Then Nashua and I and a few other people sort of got to work on what the pool should actually be parameter wise. And this is really tricky. This took us a little while. Mm -hmm. And we ended up copying uh, the convex curve curve pool. So they had a similar, at the time, DPEG2 or sort of gap between the two assets. And they had a natural pulling point. It just, it fit really well. So yeah. we just decided to copy it and it worked great. At then, so we had the pool printer set up. We had the gas, the pool set up. Um, next, we needed to figure out bribes. The team wasn't going to bribe it. And we knew, we knew that, right? Yeah. But Tetra Yes. Had recently aped in, or no? At the time, it He'd was been not in for a couple of months at that point. Had he had he been, been in starting, for a while. That was when he was starting to get a little bit dissatisfied with the lack of DeFi integration. Liquidity incentives, yeah, yeah. liquidity incentives. So right. he, the, it was his charity, right? Why didn't you explain his charity mm-hmm. to the Rocket Pool community? Yeah, so we hit him up. I, you can also you can read about this in Discord. I tag him into uh, the RE liquidity incentives or, or Tetranote Theory Crafting thread. I'm mm-hmm. like, hey. So we created, we thought of something new and we think this is going to be huge. Uh, we created the pool, we explained the concept to him and he was like, this is brilliant. Uh, sure, I'll support you. And then here's where we fucked up a little bit. We asked him to support us. Yep. Just like, we actually, the way I wrote it was like, if you could bribe us a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly where he put it. I did not ask him to do what he did next. Which, which is- was turn around and immediately lock in the entirety of his voting power, the single largest curve whale in all of Ethereum, at the time, a billion dollar DeFi juggernaut yeah. into the new nascent RE Thrapsteed pool before it had even been live. It went crazy. It it was a monster. Yeah. It was a monster. It hit $200 million at valuation at its peak. $200 million in capital coming. It was it, it lived up to the hype. I wanted it to be like a competitor to the uh, Y curve the urine steep pool. I mean, it was a magnitude of order off, but yeah, that's closer than I ever fucking thought. <laughs> Sorry for the language, but no, it's uh, it's, it's it exceeded. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I wrote a so Tetranode was donating his charity was the equivalent of twenty thousand dollars worth of curved bribes per two weeks. Yeah. Which went? This was when curve efficiency was high. Uh, the market was still in a bullish mania. So like immediately re pool maxes out and the peg breaks for the first time mm-hmm. <laughs> and we go over peg 
And then the legend, the man, the beacon shame himself steps up, Thomas G. Actually, let me step back for a moment. First, I tag Langers into one of the threads. And I'm like, okay, we got to prep. This is going to be insane. Uh, sorry. Tetranode cannot reduce his bribes. Yeah. His bribes were set. They're going, exactly. He was locked yeah. in. Yeah. There's no going back. We like we knew we had about two weeks to prep for like a hundred million. Like I I don't remember what I quoted. I think I quoted him like twenty five to fifty million. I expected capital to come in, and I was like, "Have fun, try to get us Nova operators, please." Go. I, my exact phrasing was like, "Now is the time for marketing." I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and the only reason the peg didn't go to like two ETH or something was because Thomas G just started printing pools it was because amazing i think like ten thousand ETH worth of pools in yeah, like a he, week 800 well i think he already had a big chunk of pools but he brought up his total pools up to 800 at that point at that point the the commission was variable right so as the pool right. was full it was 20 percent <laughs> commission so anytime it hit 20 percent, he was like spinning up those pools to get those like mm -hmm. high percentages and he mm -hmm. went crazy with his yeah. pools, he became the beacon channel, yeah. which was absolutely right. amazing. And this was also the first sort of like parabolic growth moment for mm -hmm. the protocol since launch. Like yeah. we had the launch parabolic movement, then things really taped out for a long time, and yeah. then the curve pool hits and it's just vertical. The protocol yeah. TV always explodes. It's only happened one time since then as well, around withdrawals, right? Yeah. When people were going mm -hmm. in, and we had that huge bullish moment and then we hit all time high on the RPL price, and that was. Mm -hmm on the graph that was the only other point where it had that similar kind of progression yeah. and i'm hoping yeah. that we'll get that again in the next few months yeah. like over the next few months but that the community was hugely bullish about the possibilities of DeFi at that point right like because right. we're seeing all this playing out in front of us one of the things that you mentioned was the team kind of made it clear that they didn't want anything to do with um liquidity incentives like why mm -hmm. do you think why do you think they had that hesitation I've spent many a night talking to the team about this question. They have a very philosophical philosophy first, application second worldview, which is exactly what we need. But it also has some moments where it's going to conflict with the community, right? Mm -hmm. Philosophically speaking, liquidity incentives are bad. It's temporary illiquidity that won't last, right? they had to be convinced that this temporary bad thing could be a temporary bad thing that we would not be then entitled to stay with forever and ever and ever. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that ever truly got across. I think the thing that really sort of won them over was that the community felt it had an obligation to RE holders to provide a liquid coin that was not being provided. Right. The slippage on Arith was just too high to be uh, a liquid staking product. I think that personally is what more so won them over. Uh, and we succeeded. You can do a $20 million Arith trade with like less than 2% slippage, which is insane. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it was a very long, slow process where tons of people just made their, uh, had to very carefully articulate their stances on why. Uh, although liquidity incentives are sometimes mercenary capital, they, in the net long run, are going to be key. Uh, one of the important things is, which I don't want to say I hold this over the team's head, but I kind of do, 
check out how important the curve pull still is with like no incentives. Like in theory, TVL should have gone to zero, right? Mm -hmm. But no, this is a still massive pool that still contributes to a huge amount of our, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, uh, well, like when a trade happens, yeah, yeah, trading volume, right? Yeah. So I think that also was important, them seeing that sometimes mercenary capital isn't actually going to be mercenary, that we have enough value-driven holders that just want some DeFi opportunity that they'll stick in around. So we're kind of like moving a little bit all over the place now, but I'm going to try to thread all these things together. Like in the last few months, we've got the IMC, right? And like, you know, you right. just mentioned 20 million uh, sell slash buy with 2% movement, which is absolutely amazing. Um, how do you feel like the IMC's kind of taken over that, like basically like a tiny shoot of an idea from the curve pool and now doing all this great mm -hmm. stuff with Balancer and all these other, mm -hmm. other protocols as well. Like how's that looking to you? One of my favorite moments as a Rockpool member was getting to write the first draft of ARPA 10. Uh, the uh, sort of our, for, it was, I think 10 and 11, it was uh, first the general structure and then the uh, IMC application, mm -hmm. uh, obviously with the help of tons of people as we were yeah. drafting this, but uh, it was like writing philosophy. I mean, it's just what I did with writing when I wrote the curve pool is I'm putting ideals into words that'll help guide future decisions. Uh, I put ideals into words about how our ETH is a superior product and how it, it should be a DeFi staple when I published about the curve pool and it was well received. With the IMC, the principles I wanted to instill are that we have a duty as a protocol, we are a two-sided protocol, that we have a, a sol solid duty to our ETH holders to provide a liquid staking toy, right? And that that requires some sacrifice from the protocol, like in the form of incentives or a committee built around that. Uh, and there was a few other important ideas that I really wanted to make sure you got in there, including that uh, the IMC will never uh, provide incentives to that do not provide useful liquidity. Uh, so this is a tricky one. It's like, say we had, there, there's this is a balancer whale that likes to make very, niche pools with their own custom tokens just to farm incentives right and that's something that's clearly not good like balancer the like the core team hates that as well as doing it and they've since reached agreement because uh, it's clear right it's a, a misaligned use of incentives mm -hmm. i did not want that to happen in the imc so i sort of like wrote in this if the the incentives that are being like considered do not have this external use beyond just being incentives beyond just RE the value accrual, uh, then it shouldn't be included. And I think that's actually been useful as we've considered some various integrations that have come our way. Nice. Yeah, it's, you, it's certainly... What do you think the, like, tell me about some of the integrations that have happened and like how they've taken shape over the last couple of months. Because you were the treasurer for a while, right? Like you were writing... Treasurer. Yeah, the the interim treasurer from from the yes. beginning, which is wonderful. Yes. Now it's now we have Vaka, who's the treasurer. But mm -hmm. um, how was that like that experience and kind of like staying on top of everything that's happening with the IMC? It was honestly pretty easy at the beginning because when the IMC first started, we were like, okay, we just want a simple plan to increase liquidity, uh, and we weren't considering considering partnerships at the time, and. 
from like our basic understandings of how liquidity markets work, we knew that roughly, uh, as well as like previous substantial previous discussion with the team about what the options are, uh, we wanted to bribe, and we probably wanted to do the balancer ecosystem. Yeah, we considered bribing the wrapped steep RE pull on curve, but we didn't want to introduce the tail risks of wrapped steep into our holders, right? We didn't want to incentivize people to be lied to exposed. That sort of runs counterintuitive to the IMC's goals or the Brock goals. We kind of got stung a little bit by the curve pool, right? right? With the the three mm-hmm. three AC collapse and then Lido's huge depeg kind of hurt us too. We depeg mm-hmm. too, not as hard, of course, but I think we mm-hmm. got hit in a way that we wouldn't have if that curve pool didn't exist. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right in saying that. No, no, definitely, yeah, definitely sure. Because the curve pool, whenever when Steve fell off a cliff, uh, there was an arbitrage loop available, right? Mm-hmm. You could get RE, or you could get Steve. Uh, you could trade your discounted Steve for uh, above value RE. And then sell down on the open market and we get more steep and then trade for ARIF and sell on the open market. So the day of, absolutely. We probably had like uh, 20% of the curves TVL that day uh, mm-hmm. as sell pressure. Yeah, which was really bad. Mm-hmm. So and want to avoid that by not going right. into, into bed with WST, WST ETH again. Right. So Balancer yeah. was the way we went, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's worked out really well so far. Phenomenally. We're one of the biggest bribers on the Aura ecosystem. Uh, So we're pretty cognizant of like, uh, one of the big useful thing about mercenary liquidity style using bribes is that we as the DAO can also be very mercenary. Like we are today even just discussing discussing about what percent should we have as Aura bribes versus balancer bribes. So uh, yeah, it's going over really well. You've gotten huge liquidity depth. And now we can also start playing with different... uh, uh, trials like I really loved uh, the Gamma trial that we did with Uniswap today, V3. Today's news that came through with Gamma, right, back into right. range, so exciting. Yeah. yeah, I think especially post withdrawals, we might make a bigger pivot towards Uniswap V3. It's yeah. just the the scenarios in which you have liquidity demand outside of a very tight range mm-hmm. right now is huge. Right, yeah. like obviously our ETH was just two percent over pack. Post withdrawals, that range is going to crunch. Yeah, it's really exciting. So yeah. we we talked about you know those parabolic movements um, a little while ago, but the, the I mentioned the staking the merge parabolic movement, but that it can be argued was actually the IMC's parabolic. It was movement. right at the same time. It was happening yeah. at the same time, right? So you can kind of misattribute cause and effect there, I think. But I. Right. I was definitely championing that it was the IMC's win, and I it was an amazing. You know, once the once the incentive started, I feel like that excitement in the community was palpable because people were just like, "Wow, I can actually do stuff with my RE now! Like, I can put it in balancer pool. I can take send it to optimism and then put it into beefy and like you know through Beethoven and die against it exactly. And there's just been some really really great stuff that's happened over the last few months Mm -hmm. and. That's really, really great, I think. Um, what do you think is going to happen now? Like, let's, I guess now's a good time to kind of transition towards your re- recent thesis that you wrote, right? Like, you know, why Paradigm was wrong, how our ETH will flip ST ETH. So this is like a 50-page paper you wrote, like a magnum, <laughs> a magnum opus even, I think. Um, 
just right. talking talking about how um, you know the shortcomings of um, Lido and STE, the issues that it faces, and then you know your pay, pay posit- the pivots towards championing Rocket Pool. Um, it goes on mm-hmm. to explain some of the other staking um, derivative tokens out there right now, and then at the end it kind of um, ties it all together with a little bit of understanding of you know what Rocket Pool's shortcomings might be, but also why we can overcome them and how we can like thrive going forward. So um tell me when when did when did you get the idea for writing this paper? Because I feel like these are thoughts that you've been grappling with for over a year now, right? Like I know yeah. how, how how was the process of writing this paper? Yeah, arguably the first draft of this is what I mentioned earlier uh in our chat, the yeah. the the case against Lido. Mm-hmm. And like that, you know it's funny, Superfiz pushed back when I first wrote that. He was he didn't uh, he didn't want to paint an enemy and he yeah. still didn't like painting enemies right he'd rather build up than tear down it's totally acceptable but I think I still believe in this case that it is important that unfortunately we have to tear down a little just for the sake of honesty yeah uh, so so the ideas really did start back then like Lido is going to control is going to grow unabated uh, they don't have enough node operators they cannot they literally cannot grow decentralized under the current scheme unless they completely redo themselves mm-hmm. uh, and so th- those are the warning signs back then and that was like april of 2022 fast forward i would say to about august um i had missed writing like one of the really things i love about philosophy is just writing is cathartic to me uh mm-hmm. being able to uh create like complex just theory just write it out uh, and then share it with people and uh, understand things together is just rewarding and beautiful to me yeah. so it was just a play project i've never like intended this to become 50 pages i just would one get bored at night and be like okay i hate this paradigm paper so much like, okay. i cannot express how much i hate it let me try <laughs> uh I, I honestly cannot express just how long that paradigm paper sat in the back of my head like just like kind of mocking me like haha there is no academic response to us we've been sitting out in the open for years and no one has said anything uh, and it was kind of like the nostril moment uh, i just had to write it myself <laughs> so um and let's, sorry let's talk a little bit about the aftermath of the paper and then we can actually discuss the paper itself so um sure. what 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 happened like the moment you wrote your tweet thread and you put it out there, the paper was ready. People had seen drafts of it. People, had, you'd already been sharing like paragraphs here and there, like, you know, late night trading, people like sharing yeah. things with them. Um, once it was out there in the world, what happened? It was like immediate, like people loved it. Uh, yeah. I, it was, I mean, you thank you very much for very quickly after publication, putting out uh, a full recording, literally nearly two hour marathon. Uh, a fairly dense material. <laughs> Thank you to your lungs for managing the feed. I had a coughing fit an hour and a half into that. <laughs> like I literally coughed for a minute straight mm-hmm. and a Maverick thankfully like took the audio from me and kind of cleaned it up a little bit and sent it back <laughs> because I, it was a lot, like there was a lot, it was just, it was a lot of speaking and my right. throat just couldn't handle it. But you can feel, you can hear my voice getting more hoarse as the reading goes on. <laughs> but, it, like so I, think, so I put, it. Hmm? yeah sorry carry on 
yeah. yeah. So I publish it and um, it starts getting picked up, starts picking up traction. There was like a 25, three, 25 tweet thread accompanying with it, mm-hmm. which I actually still owe two more entire tweet threads because yeah. I only summarized part of the paper. Yeah, because it says one of 82 on tweet two. And I was oh, just like, did I put the leave the 82? Yeah. Oh, oops. <laughs> I didn't it was an 82 thread. tweet thread. Yeah. <laughs> so I've already written the thread. I just need to actually put it there. together now. Yeah. yeah, do it. Um, okay, so it goes out there. I put People a, respond positively. What 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 happened next? So the moment I was like, this is really going well, was when people started quote tweeting it, tweeting it in like so many languages. Uh, Vietnamese, Japanese, uh, French, uh, Filipino, uh, German, Korean, Korean, Chinese. Yeah, Korean, Korean, yeah. Yeah. So many, everywhere. And it, it was gratifying. It was like humbling. Like, oh my God. People all over the world are reading this. And they're That's enjoying fantastic. it. It was really yeah, good. It amassed uh, sitting at like 175,000 views now. Nice. So it got pretty big. And, you know, I, won't, I don't want to say that it was all my, all my doing, but not very long after I put that out there, we did have the whole LSD-wide market uh, surge. Yep, absolutely. And that's one yeah. of the reasons why, like, I'd be like, Jasper, you got to get on here because we need to talk about this right now, right? Because there's there's definitely like a huge resurgent interest. And like, obviously there's all these different things that are happening, you know, with the Ethereum protocol, you know, heading into withdrawals and Atlas and, well, especially withdrawals, I guess, for the, for the ecosystem at large. But it came at just the right time. Like your paper definitely, mm-hmm. I think, might have been like the... Um, a tinder like little flame spark there right um and this is this is a conversation that's really taken hold now um have people been asking you about it like what have people been saying to you oh constantly yeah i get i've gotten so many dms of people like asking questions about the paper just sending their praise or saying thank you uh i have also had people uh in fancier roles so to speak express their gratitude and how it has influenced their decision making uh interpret that how you will hedge funds vcs <laughs> yeah you 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 are second only to maso in that tease that you guys do like, i know this thing that i'm not telling you all <laughs> you know i I love when occasionally being able to send really obscure messages into trading that have alpha in them, but like you would have to do so many leaks and logic to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if I send a message in trading that looks like pure gibberish, maybe look a little closer. Yeah, I, I'll definitely keep that in mind because of course I, I read everything in trading, so <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely pay attention to that more. But um, so now let's, let's actually de- dive into the paper a little bit and sure. um, have a look at like what what you kind of argued right so in the beginning of the paper the first chapter is like power is not law and you mm-hmm. know in here you talk about um, the Pareto principle um, can you tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about what that is and how it applies to Lido yeah um, this is sort of me actually sorry to interrupt you let's not mm-hmm. we don't have to get too much into the details of yeah. it we can keep it fairly high level yeah. that, that's fine yeah, I was actually just thinking about bio and like how natural systems work. Like you have a predator that like grows, grows, then it gets too big and then it, gets, it has to shrink down, like some opposing pressure. And that opposing pressure, like the, the force that thing causes things to contract was missing in Ethereum staking. Like Steve was able to grow, as I described it in my first paper, it's like this black hole 
just sucking in all the EPs and growing endlessly. But that's not how natural systems work. Mm-hmm. We're not in a Pareto distribution right now. Lido can grow and it cannot shrink. And that is going to change. And that's going to fundamentally revert back to a Pareto distribution in which we, we have more of an oligopoly. We have multiple players uh, vying for the top spot. Yeah. So that that's how you start the paper, right? And then mm-hmm. um, we then the next part of the paper was about uh, social headwinds to the STE growth. So um, right. what kind of things were you talking about here? Like, what did you mean by governance attackable? Like, that was one of the sections that you had in the paper. Right. So one of the big things that's important about Ethereum staking is whoever controls the validators in a loose way. Sorry, not the validators. Actually, yes. I'm going to restart this. What's important when you think about governance for Ethereum is that there is no base layer Ethereum governance, right? There's the all core devs call, but there's no governing token. There's no voting. There's no on-chain governance. However, there is staking and there are staking protocols and those protocols are governed and you can get a divergence. You could have the all core devs and the community who have a certain set of ideals and you can get protocols that control parts of the ecosystem have differing views. And that's a tax surface. Governance mm-hmm. is a tax surface, right? The ability to express opinions on the base layer uh, inherently means you also have things that can be attacked. So uh, the LDO distribution is not ideal. Further, uh, LDO is borrowable and then immediately can be used in governance. Those two things alone are very scary. Yeah. Uh, the dragonfly vote is, a, is what I talked about, but it's really just an example that Lido governance can be attacked because the token is not very well distributed and it's available to be borrowed. And so it, the amount of capital required and the trade-offs are there. Yeah. That's... Whereas Rocketpool, for example, uh, quadratic voting and the very high barrier to entry, you have to be a node operator, completely different. Yeah, and you have to stake your RPL, right, to be able to vote right. with the PDAO, mm-hmm. which means that you can't withdraw up to 150%. I guess once withdrawals are enabled, you can technically spin up those pools and vote and then unspin them, but it's just a lot more difficult. There's a lot more friction to it than there is with Lido voting. Right. Yeah, you would still need the ETH capital. You would need the ETH mm-hmm. and the RPL uh, for validators, which is much, much more difficult than just going into a flash loan, even yeah. in some cases. Yeah. So then the paper goes on, you talk about the rapidly changing fee and incentive structures. So mm-hmm. we kind of talked about the incentives before, about how they were you know, incentivizing their pools by $20 million a month. Um, I mm-hmm. don't think they're spending that much on their incentives now, right? But no. $2 still- million a month. Yeah, they're still spending a fair amount. Um, how has that changed but, and why is that an issue? In this section, I was actually talking more about the, so the Lido protocol takes a cut from staking rewards. Mm. Uh, 10%, 5% goes to validators, the node operators, and then 5% is sort of like up to the protocol to control. And when Lido first launched, part of that ETH was going into an insurance fund. Mm-hmm. It is no longer going to an insurance fund, it's just going into a treasury fund. Yeah. And so if half the protocol's revenue can be switched from insuring Steve to making money for LDO holders. That's a distinct weakness, or at least at the very least, it is a sign that the um, the system is very malleable. Yeah. Okay. And then the next part of the paper, you talk about the multi-chain dilemma um, that the 
Lido is basically on mm. Solana. It's on all these other other staking services. Mm-hmm. Like, why is that an issue? Do you think? I think the best way to think about this is to think about the worst case scenario, like mm-hmm. doomsday for crypto. We have a bunch of chains going down, and we have one really rich VC backed, government backed, maybe even a chain that's willing to pay, like for this temporary amount of time, whatever it takes for its validators to get back online. If those validators who are for profit or these node operators who are for profit entities are they're probably going to be willing to take these bribes for better work, right? So yeah. if they are willing to, then you have this clear perverse uh, uh, incentive structure where outside factors that pertain to one blockchain can force that blockchain to have a superior role to Ethereum. Yeah. So just by the nature of having two blockchains with one node operator, you're just instantly adding risk. And Rocket Pool is inherently an Ethereum first, like uh, node operators have the option of hosting on multiple entities, but uh, I guarantee you the vast majority of Rocket Pool node operators are not. <laughs> yeah, and then the next, of course they're not because the other delegated um, staking systems, their thresholds are so high that there's very few mm-hmm. people who would are even able to run those staking services, right? right. So. Uh, that's not the crowd that Rocket Pool targets in the slightest. Like our, no. our um, goals are to get home stakers involved, like small stakers. Literally, like you know, we're working towards mini pools with people staking with two ETH. Like that's not the right. kind of people who are staking on Solana. So, so would you say that the social ethos of Ethereum is to favor decentralized home stakers? And would you say Rocket Pool agrees with it on that? Absolutely, without a doubt. I th- would you? Uh... <laughs> Would you say that is Lido's driving principle? No, because Vasily sat exactly. at, Vasily sat at um, DevCon and said that we're all hobbyists right? and amateurs and mm-hmm. we should leave it mm-hmm. to professionals, uh, which yeah. was a huge slap in the face at right. a panel about <laughs> home staking and opening it yeah. to more stakers. <laughs> it was horrible. The, TL, the TLDR of this chapter was Vasily at that panel. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, it's just completely misaligned. Um, the next thing you talked about the, was the validator registry and um, the issues around that. Can you explain what that was a little bit? Yeah, so this is just like how node operators can join. And uh, something I didn't talk about in this paper, I just talked about how Lido's permission, Rockful, anyone can join as a node operator. What's uh, important for people who are listening to this to know is there have been Rockful community members that have tried and failed to become Lido node operators, like mm-hmm. really good node operators, people who have the experience who would have done phenomenally. And when Lido onboards new node operators, they'll get 40 applications, they might accept eight, right? Why it boggles the mind to me when you want to minimize risk as a protocol, you want to grow your node operator base to to avoid all the social pressures we talk about. How can you accept so few when you have so many good applicants? They want people that they can control, right? Like that's the only thing that makes sense to me. So, yeah, yeah. There are many questions abound about Lido's node operator registry, and it is uh, a curse to the ecosystem currently. Yeah. So then the next chapter then becomes the economic headwinds to ST STETH growth. Mm-hmm. So it's a staking risk free or risk fee. So, um, what were some of the ideas that you were having in this section? This is, uh, I think, my novel contribution. Like. We have this concept of the staking pegs, right? We have ARETH at consistently over a premium. We have STETH at its discount, and we have CVE at, at its discount. 
what I wanted to do was sort of try to break down what elements are there to these pegs. Like when you have a discount or a premium, we can think about it being broken down into different things that contribute to it. And when I did that mental exercise, I was thinking like, okay, what are economic incentive structures that would be relevant here? And I came up with execution risk, tail risk, and centralization risk. Yeah. So broadly, uh, and I, so I tried to like support this with uh, graphical and numerical evidence where I could. Mm-hmm. Execution was the easiest one to prove. Like, uh, the idea is there is a, a portion of any LSD tokens discount that is purely based on uh, things the protocol has to get done. Like merge has to ship, withdrawals has to ship. These are sort of like broad uh, system systematic systemic things that have to get done. And once they do finish, uh, create de-risking events. And we saw this, right? The merge happened, LSDs across the board, all their pegs cut in like half. So I use that as evidence. Okay, at least part of it is execution risk. I made the claim that post-merge, uh, our ETH execution risk was essentially zero, or broad, roughly, along with a, a other well-decentralized tokens, which there were none at the time. Yeah. Uh, and so then I was like, okay, what's left? Why is Steve still trading at a discount relative to Arif when we're now like months after the the three arrows capital collapse? Like if the market wanted uh, Steve to return to peg, it could, right? The day of the merge, the Steve uh, DPEG cut in half. Like there, was, there is enough volume for the, D, the DPEG to disappear. Why mm-hmm. hasn't it? So tail risk is broadly like the different ways a protocol could end up losing the money. Uh, mass slashing event. Uh, uh, in Lido's case, like it gets slashed by the Ethereum core developers for getting too large. Uh, quadratic leaks, things that are quite rare. Like fundamentally, a tail risk event is very rare, but are uh, important to keep in mind. And we saw uh, and Lido, sign- Sorry, Korea. Mm-hmm. I was saying we, we uh, saw signs of that with the Bridge Tower Capital Institute, right? Right. Around right. Bellatrix and... You know, it was a scheduled a professional hard node fork. operator. Exactly, like it was a scheduled hard fork. Everyone knew exactly what block it was taking place. Well, terminal difficulty was taking place. There was no reason for them to lose seven thousand eight hundred. I think was it seven thousand eight hundred validators went off. Validators. Yeah, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. is that that's 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 something that shouldn't have happened, right? And it happened. Yeah. So it's definitely an issue there. Sorry, carry on. You were you were going to explain the tail risk issue a bit more. Yeah, so Lido just uh, inherent to its structure of being permissioned with such a few limited node operator set opens up to tail risk that Rocket Bull just doesn't have. I mean, if the US government and the Euro- European Union wanted to go in and shut down Lido node operators, they would get a huge chunk. Right? And that same action, while it could impact the Oracle DAO a little bit, uh, would not be able to touch our node operator base. Yeah. Haja, H-O-D-J-A from the Discord and on Twitter, just put up a beautiful heat map that shows how distributed our node operators are. And like, you would have to have the whole world, whole world government team up. Yeah. It's, That's so much more tail risk resistant. Absolutely, which is great. And then you talked about centralization risk. Can you explain a little bit about what that was? Yeah. That's just like the bigger a protocol gets, the more risk it's going to bring in with it. Like Lido at 50% of the Ethereum network uh, if they only have still 40 node operators and one of them loses all their ETH, you just lost the entire DeFi ecosystem, right? Like 
uh, once they are sized, like Lido size is size. And that is bad because once your size is size, you get cascading liquidations, you get bad debt and DeFi protocols, and it could become very bad. Like we saw uh, parts of this in the Three Arrows Club. Like Steve was one of the major things that led to the whole ecosystem tanking. Yeah. It was really bad. <laughs> so now you mentioned the word cascade. Now uh, the paper transitions from here to the orange cascade, which was definitely my, section. my my favorite section of the whole paper. Um, I really yeah. loved it. Um, so you started off by talking about how um, Rocket Pool kind of creeps pre-withdrawals and um, kind of explain kind of where we are now, right? So can you just uh, tell, us, tell us a little bit about that part of the paper? Yeah, so in the brief, pre-withdrawal era, I'm sort of just setting up the scene as it is now, and it will lead into withdrawals. Uh, and so the major thing in this section is going to be the LEB8s. Uh, uh, for a period of time, we were also considering maybe we got stats before withdrawals, but mm -hmm. obviously the timeline has changed. So with LEB8s, we have the potential for a 3x multiplier on the RETVL. On top of cutting in half our requirement to become a node operator, Right. So just take those two together. We have a 3x multiplier and an approximate 2x multiplier. We can 6x roughly our ETH supply with one upgrade. It's pretty right. amazing. <laughs> uh, that alone gets us to like uh, 600,000. Uh, roughly like 700,000. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then we get to withdrawals, which is like the meaty bit. Because mm -hmm. uh, First off, we get node operator migration. And to me, node operator, solo staker node migration is going to be uh, sort of the, the hidden factor that determines the rest of Rockpool's future. Yeah. If we get a sizable node operator migration, solo staker migration, uh, arguably, we can abandon staking as a service. Like, yeah. If we have a good migration, say even 10% to 20% of solo nodes, uh, we're scaling into the millions of ETH with LEB8. So it, it's, I want to impart that we don't need everything in this chapter. If we get some of this chapter, yeah. Rocketful will succeed beyond our wildest imagination. Zero Thesis will play out. That's one of the points that I've been making for quite a while in Rocket Fuel is that we can scale in the next year without adding a single new node operator, putting a single new ETH of their own staking, right? Mm -hmm. Because the 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 case that I make is once we get to LEB2s, we will 15X our current um, our ETH, uh, you know, the amount we can carry without adding a single mm -hmm. new node operator ETH at all, right? Because, you know, you'd go down from 16 ETH to 2 ETH. Your one minute right. pool now would be 8 um leb2 pools and each of those will be carrying 30 ETH each like the numbers go up to two and a quarter million two and a half million basically that that yeah. would put us at a very respectable chunk of the whole of the ethereum staking environment as it currently stands without right. even one single new eth coming in from existing stakers and that when i try to rationalize that in my mind it kind of like boggles my mind a little bit <laughs> it's just so incredibly bullish to think of it like that. So when you add on top of that, you know, a, a sizable uh, migration of 
solo stake operators, you the multiplication factor of that is astounding. And right. then the question I ask, and I don't think like this is kind of an aside, is where does the RE demand come from? That <laughs> that that's something that like you know I've kind of grappled with, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure if I have the answer for that yet because there. I I don't know how that's gonna happen, right? Like, you know, we we would be in a position where we could have a mini pool queue that's in the thousands of length. And what what happens in that situation? I'm not sure. There's so much. There's so the Rocket Pool team yeah. and the IMC are yeah. currently doing their best to suppress our ETH demand. That's right. We are literally lowering incentives. Yeah. Like I have been on Twitter telling people not to buy our ETH. <laughs> what, what can I? What can I? So, there is going to be probably with Atlas one bonus upgrade that no one is expecting around Atlas. I can't speak for the team, obviously, but based on some special discussions the IMC has had, there is one thing that people are not talking about that people should be talking about that is huge for our demand. Is that something we know about that we're not like paying attention to? Or is it something that's kind of clandestine that the only IMC knows about? Everyone is familiar with the concept. So why don't no you just explain it. it to us? <laughs> I don't want to put undue pressure on the team to release it, but uh, okay. and I don't also know. It is a category of things, and I do not know which. Uh, uh, Indiv- or which group within the category we will be with. I'm trying to be very broad, but I, can so I apologize. I figure it out. Okay, that's fine. I'll 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 yeah. show you that you can say I told you back then, like in a few <laughs> months' time. So <laughs> maybe we can start so, like, thinking about it in in trading. This thing, this con- conceptual thing, I I think will bring uh six or seven digits worth of RX demand. Either hundreds of thousands or millions. Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. So that is this thing. But then we have the entire Ave chain link folding ability, right? So like if that comes up, remember when I described that, I said it was a multiplier on existing supply. Mm-hmm. Right. So if our supply hits R six X with uh, just LEB eights and solo staker migration. Yeah. Uh before even stats or whatever, we just get that success. Yeah. Then we get this uh, built-in multiplier based on folding, which we don't even... So I said 33% earlier, right? We we kind of don't know how powerful folding is going to be in the withdrawal world, Maso, right? Because Maso has talked about... Sorry for interrupting you. Maso has yeah. talked about people folding up to like 50 times or some crazy number, like that, you know, the potential of it exists because the peg will be so well defendable um mm-hmm. because of withdrawals it means yeah. that you know the 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 peg won't deviate at all and that right. will mean that people can take bigger and bigger risks like i don't mm-hmm. know if we want to invite that to happen but in the way that you can't stop that permissionless world yeah exactly you can't stop so it. ave v3's system uh prevents excessive protocol leverage mm-hmm. uh they have soft caps Right, okay. LTV caps for five market. Yeah. Uh, borrow rates are going to be the other thing that really eats into that. So I really don't think we're ever going to see 50% staking APR with yeah. holding just because the uh, demand for borrowing 
is going to re- cause uh, the fees and borrowing just to go sky high. Like we saw for a little while, uh, right before Ethereum proof of work dropped, like we saw borrow cost at Aave at like 3000% APY. Mm. Like I simply don't see that being sustainable for the leveraging yeah. loop. And then another important thing that hasn't been researched or like understood is you have a withdrawal queue, but that's not a liquidity pool. When you do on-chain liquidations, you can't use a withdrawal queue to liquidate. <laughs> you need actual ETH on-chain that's immediately usable. Yeah. So while it will make it a much less risky affair to do uh, this arbitrage loop, it's not clear to what extent it reduces the requirement for on-chain liquidity, deep on-chain liquidity. Yeah, interesting. So it's going to be a complex world. There's a lot. There's yeah. a lot up in the air. Definitely. Yeah. So that this this whole section of the paper is just so incredibly bullish. Um, that there's and that there's a whole lot to cover as well. But let's kind of like move forward a little bit with like you know you're talking about the future with like staking as a service and DVT and how all that fits together. So what were some of your thoughts and ideas here? So a little while ago, I wrote the paper. Um, uh, the layer zero bull case. And that was when I was like, okay, um, the reason I, part of the reason I wrote this was because we had so much RE to me and I was like, I could release my Magnus Oathbum or I could start a different paper and talk about the node operator base because we need more node operators. Uh, so I just chose to go that route. And I was like, okay, eigenlayer. Me and Sriram had interacted quite a bit on Twitter going back like months and months. Uh, he had been one of, like, he followed me like, a long time ago. Uh, because Rocket Pool is actually kind of a stake rehypothecation service already. It's just very, very tailored towards uh, rehypothecating stake to literally rehypothecate stake uh, and create a liquid staking derivative. Whereas Eigenlayer is like a, the Turing complete language to enable stake rehypothecation. So I sat down and I was like, okay, we have the already built version in Rocket Pool. And we have now this nascent aiming to be base layer version of it in eigenlayer. What happens when they converge or if they converge? And I, or Sriram, a CEO or something of eigenlayer high ranking, has already talked about the, the mutual beneficiaries here. So Rocketful by nature has a very decentralized node operator base. Eigenlayer can service node operators, node operator stake, to different protocols that have requirements. Like you can do L2 sequencers, uh, oracles, what have you, in theory. So they're a very natural fit because Rocket Pool is sort of like this uh, a purified staking ecosystem. Like the core of uh, a validator set has already is uh, been isolated. And so now when you will need to market a validator set, you already have clear markers. So this is where some of the mutual beneficials come in. Another important thing is that Eigenlayer requires you to be able to have your stake slashed. And like the Ethereum ecosystem can do an actual slashing uh, where part of the stake is actually lost. Eigenlayer can't do that. They can only mess with uh, once you have their uh, withdrawn. Mm-hmm. So you have this issue with Eigenlayer where uh, if they have the user get slashed for like 16 ETH, they won't have actually lost the ETH. They'll just have lost the right to it. And they won't have any incentive to maintain the validator. Rockpool also has this issue 
uh, in theory, with MEV stealing. So we have a highish bond as well as RPL. So the RPL is actually quite important here. Yeah. It's like an additional layer that can be directly slashed that the user uh, provides. So I think in the most bullish world, we have an eigenlayer adopted into the smart node where your RPL stake is actually your access point into the eigenlayer network on top of your base Ethereum stake. It's really fascinating. It's incredibly exciting. And I've been, <laughs> I've been like in saying really loudly that like, if we can, we should do whatever we can to like integrate Rocket Pool with eigenlayer because I think mm. both protocols can help each other so much. Um, it's yeah. absolutely fascinating to me that right now as we stand, I think Rocket Pool's set of node operators is like the fourth or fifth biggest on in all of crypto, like behind uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum and um, what are the other couple? I think like Zcash or something and some other oh, one. Zcash probably has a lot, yeah. Yeah, and then there's uh, some fourth one and then we're fifth basically. It's absolutely mm-hmm. amazing. Um just how much we've grown and the the scope for growth is even more tremendous in the coming months which is pretty astounding i don't know why um you know they wouldn't jump all over that and they are jumping all over that so it's really exciting i think i think i remember the first time sri ram interacted and it was when i tweeted uh, when will we see the first l2 airdrop tokens to rocket pool nodes to immediately bootstrap like a a, a strong node operator set yep and that's kind of just like the idea of eigenlayer, but instead of a, a airdrop or of the tokens, you just opt into the eigenlayer network. Yeah. But, but as you said, tons of bullish catalysts coming. And it's like, which we, we have so many options in front of us, which do we eat first? Do we go the DVT route? Do we go the STAS route? Do we go the eigenlayer route? It's really exciting. It's truly exciting. But I think one of the things that we need is um, withdrawal of force withdrawals, right? And right. Um, that, that I think will unlock a lot of this stuff that eigenlayer yeah. especially and uh, also of course you know um leb twos and fours which is what i think will be like the true like next level up for um rocket pool in a way that even apes won't quite do twos will just be absolutely mind-blowing it's really exciting part of me part of me thinks we don't hit two until we get dvt incorporated why do you think that is because I'm wondering what we do with uh, MEV stealing, mm. uh, even in the four world. Like once we have forced exits, like we have better coverage, but we still end up losing out in some cases. Mm. Uh, and I believe DVT actually is pretty good at stopping MEV theft. Oh, nice. Okay, so that that's still like at least a year away, right? So hopefully by then we'll have we'll have good. Um this systems in place of dealing with that yeah. stuff take a whole bunch of time to think about it all but um i got into part... a twitter uh just, just a quick aside it's pretty funny. Yeah, please. i got into a, a twitter beef with kobe long time ago uh probably right around when i published my uh, curve paper yeah um and we, we were just going over it and i was like it was bad look at all the node operators he was like rocket pool can't scale blah, blah blah and we got to the point where we were talking about ssv dvt and he was like, I made the case that Lido can't use SSV to scale fast enough. It just won't be ready in time. There's just too long of a period where Lido is just sitting unsecured as a risk. By that point, like Rockpool is going to scale before they can decentralize. Yeah. And he made the claim, this Kobe, that SSV and DVT will be ready on mainnet much faster than we think. So we will see. 
indeed. Um, the next part of your paper is um, kind of talking about the different um, staking tokens that are out there as well, like the other right. challenges. So there's CBE, there's Frax ETH, um, there was Stakewise version three, pretty much. And you kind of talk about um, the benefits and like, or well, the the problems with each of those in a sense. Um, and then you kind of had like reflections of a Rocketeer section where we talk about some of the shortcomings of um, Rocket Pool and like, you know, shortcoming, not shortcoming type of thing or how we can fix it. Um, and finally, the the paper finished with the chapter six, the underappreciated art of counterparty tokenomics, um, where you were talking about how that all will work out as well. Um, so the paper was, was absolutely fantastic. Um, like I said, I'm one of the few people probably who've read it more than once, which was kudos to you. Great. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it was released at Christmas, so it was a nice Christmas day, nice present. Uh, I stayed up at night reading it uh, <laughs> until I just couldn't stay awake anymore, and then I finished it first thing in the morning, which was really cool. Um, I, I, I love the paper. So, what, what are you working on next? Um. Do you have any ideas of papers that you'd like to write in the coming months, weeks, or years? So a good friend of mine um, who works at a suit and tie firm uh, wants to collaborate with me on a paper. Okay. So uh, he is a AI ML modeling person. So mm -hmm. who has, was currently working at a big hedge fund. So they will bring a pretty quantitative and economic view. Uh, and so uh, we're going to talk and see what we can come up with. That sounds amazing. I'm really excited yeah. to read it. Oh, like, or oh, for you to share ideas in trading even about it and for me to cover. If you, have people... suggestions where, if you have suggestions for things you would like to see me write about, feel free to send them away. I'm I, really writing is just one of my like cathartic things to do at the end of the day. It'll, I will have trading open. I'll have e-finance open. And I'll just be just send type out my thoughts. Yeah. Just let it flow. That's wonderful. That's really great. Um, before we finish up, Jasper, um, yeah. do you feel like there's anything that we that you want to cover before we, we wrap things up? Um there's so much that we could talk about. We didn't talk about the <laughs> LEB eight uh max collateral vote, um and how oh. you, like that was uh, and how you kind of took the side of the RETH, right? Like that's the kind of case you were presenting. But maybe we can save that discussion for another time. Is there anything else that you wanna you think we should cover before we we close this up? I would like to finish by saying the progressive decentralization of Rockupool is of paramount importance, and I think going into the back half of twenty twenty three, it will it should rise very quickly to the top of our list yeah. like thinking about the numbers we just put out there when we we're talking about that previous chapter like millions of eth under rocket pool control means that we have to be good stewards of the vegan chain we Absolutely. need to we like obviously we're miles ahead of the competition but like reflections of rocketeer chapter is real like the odal has its flaws and if we end up pushing on the upper bounds of our self-imposed soft caps we should be doing so when we're in our best possible state, which is with a minimized ODAO, which is with um, potentially a second smart node, which is secured and tail risk as possible. The Guardian Act, just like the whole fiasco with that. Uh, yeah. I oh. think scaling is a solved problem for Rocket Pool. I'm going to put that out there. 
Yeah. We figured it out. Now we just got to do the rest. Yeah, we're going to do it responsibly, right? And make sure that mm -hmm. we do, we stay firm to those values that, you know, we claim we hold, you know, the maximal decentralization, like we need to do that the best way possible. And we have a model for that, right? Like Ethereum has given us a model for that. Like we have, right. we have clients, multiple clients on the execution side, multiple clients on the consensus side. There's absolutely no reason why we shouldn't have multiple smart node stacks um, going forward. Definitely. That's, yeah. that's something really maybe a second team to contribute smart contract changes yeah maybe we can write yeah. a bounty about it next year <laughs> um, when rpl is 10x the market cap there's a whole field of possibilities unlocked. absolutely absolutely yeah if we if the inflation is the same as it is now and you know the price goes up rapidly the the amount of amazing things we'd be able to fund as a pdow would just go through the roof we could literally hire an army of engineers to to work on this mm -hmm. first like it would be truly, truly amazing, and it'd be community, right? Like not just the team. It yeah. would, it would be, it would be ours. We'll be taking the protocol into our own hands, which I think is really important. So it's. Really I'm going to say something controversial here. Of course, we actually have a lot to learn from Lido. Their okay, governance structure, their govern, their forum, and their governance is pretty well structured. Like their calls. Uh, I recently posted about Lido's new format. Like the way they had the call and the documentation around that, great. Like we should aspire to that. Like they have very good transparency around DAO happenings. It's just not built into their protocol, yeah. which is sad. But we have it built into our protocol. Now we just need to build it into our governance too. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll see how that goes. Jasper, I want to thank you so much for coming on Launchpad, sharing your fascinating thoughts and like... I, I feel like, you know, people have known you in the community for so long, but now they get to see you and they get to hear your thoughts from you directly. And I think that's going to be really valuable for everyone. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And I feel like you're a brother from another mother. <laughs> this has been a great conversation. And I want to thank you once again. And I hope that we carry on this conversation going forward. Tu mera doste. Yeah, tu mera doste, bye. Always. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Wack. Love you, you man.